Let's be right. anti-capitalism in this one instance, because you don't. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Friday morning. It is April 28th. I am your co-host, Jared Mintz. And joining me today is my partner in rhyme, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how you doing today, man? As I told you in the, the pre-show part of the podcast, I'm on steroids. So my Major League Baseball career is currently on hold. But other than that, I'm doing well. Hopefully, these these uh the the clear and the cream or whatever it's called uh, starts working, and I start feeling better, and I can sleep more than three hours a night. How come you take steroids and don't play baseball, but baseball players do take steroids and do play baseball? That's a good question. I mean, I'm not on those kind of steroids, but if I were, I still wouldn't be able to hit a baseball. Yeah, that's fair. Did you ever play organized baseball in your life? Yeah, yeah, I played all the way until I think I was 16, and then. Uh, I had surgery on my shoulder, and I had to relearn how to use my right hand, and I kind of was told, I, I played three sports at the time, they're like, hey, you should probably just pick one, because I was like had to relearn how to use my arm, so I picked basketball, because it's my favorite sport, so uh, yeah, but I wasn't, very, I was I was a catcher my whole career, and I wasn't very good, I was good defensively, but I was horrible. At the- what was the worst batting average you ever put up in a season? Oh, Jesus, uh, I think my, my first year of senior Little League, so I was like, 14, I think I bat at like 240, which is really, like, you got to remember, everybody bats like in the, th- like, 400s. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 240 is super low. Well, not quite everybody. I played Little League one year, one year of Little League as a child when I was in fifth grade, and uh, I didn't record a hit that season, so. Oh, man. Yeah, I wasn't very good. I was afraid. Uh, it's fine. It's no big deal. It's whatever. I made a couple of fluke catches in the outfield, but most balls that were hit my way were not being caught. Uh, not a good baseball player. Just going to put it out there. It happens. Listen, man, baseball, like, of, of all the sports I've ever played that I've tried to be good at, like, there's sports, like, I dabbled in. Baseball was always the hardest for me because you really, it's a grind, like, you really have to work at it a lot to be able to hit a baseball. And you could get away with maybe just some athleticism for football or basketball or I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in tune with it. But baseball to me was always the biggest struggle. I just didn't. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, same, 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 same. What are you gonna do? It's horrible hand-eye coordination, I guess. No, that, that's a crazy thing for me too. Is I could like I could rake when it wasn't like an actual game. Like I'd go play with my friends. Oh, you're a great like a practice player, but then yeah, when the great, game happened. Great, great practice player. Probably applicable to most sports too. Basketball just absolutely amazing. Then you put like refs on a court, and it's like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I knew basketball players like that, and I always bought like we'd go play or even at practices, and these guys would be like so much better than everybody else. And then you try to put them in a game, and they just be awful. Yeah, I never, yeah, I never got that. Maybe it's nerves or something like that, or whatever. Because I know, like, I used to have a friend that I thought was really good at basketball, and then like when he, we'd insert him into games in high school, like he just shrank, and he just told me he's like, it's all these people watching. And he knew what the reason was. He just choked. Yeah, it's got to be nerves. I mean, even for me, playing in like front of non crowds, just like the the structure of everything, the fact that it's not like you know you're calling your own fouls and stuff like that. It just, I don't know. Yeah, I was the opposite. I was better in structured environments than I was like in pickup basketball. Interesting. Well, I also played a lot more pickup than I did uh, structured, so that probably explains it. But I there, there two, though, you're right, though. They're two different games. Oh, big time, big time. So all you kids out there, don't be discouraged. Just uh, keep trying. No, work on work on playing in front of a lot of people, and that that'll help. All you kids that are listening to the relative. <laughs> yeah, all you 14 year old kids that are scared to pl- try out for your JV basketball team. 
Something like eleven year olds, like all the all the little kids. What you do guys, you think is the youngest person that listens to a podcast? I'm going to say like twenty five. Like out of their own choice, or like in a car with out a of their their own choice, yeah. Because I'm sure somebody's getting sucked into this podcast; they don't want to be here. But I mean, like, who's intentionally listening to our podcast? I think we probably got some college age kids. Not like oh, Jared and Joe were the hip guys, and college kids love Jared and Joe. <laughs> but like, we interact with enough age ranges. You're right. And stuff. Oh, and we shout out to Josh Elberly yesterday for giving us uh, both you and I the uh, underrated podcast award or whatever that was. Yeah, I like that. So if you're tuning in today for the first time because Josh, what a mistake you made! But shout out to Josh. Glad he put us on. And uh, and this is a weird. This is gonna be a weird episode. Consider like it's gonna be kind of off brand. Right. Yeah. I mean that that's kind of a good way to transition into what we're gonna be talking about today. I mean, listen, the NFL draft. You know, the first round of nineteen thousand rounds in thirty five hundred days started last night. Nobody got put on blast for smoking weed in a bong mask. So oh. We're not gonna talk about the draft today. I fell asleep at the twelfth pick. It sounds about right. I mean, the 12th pick was like 10 o'clock Eastern time. Oh, so man, it's just so slow. It, it really is. It's tough. But we're, we're not going to talk about the NFL draft. Really nothing, you know, crazy is happening in the NBA playoffs. So we're going to wait until Monday to kind of do an update on that. And, uh, Joe, have you watched the baseball game yet this season? Uh, I've watched uh, – this is going back like four podcasts ago, but I watched the bottom half of the one inning of the Mets game. And that's the only information I have this year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been watching a little bit more lately because the Yankees have been playing awesome baseball. Way to go into Fenway and give up one run in two games makes me real happy. But we're not talking about baseball. We're not talking about basketball. We're not talking about football. Let's go back to what, you know, you mentioned about Josh shouting us out. And really, we're going to talk about sports media again today, which, you know, we've done several times on the show. So we're giving you the the opt-out option now. If you're not interested in our thoughts on ESPN, now's your time to find something better to do. But this was a huge week for sports media, and of course, you know, Joe, you and I have been pouring our life into this field for, I don't know, years Ever? upon years. Yeah. yeah, Years upon years now, and I think it's funny that, you know, we started the show off talking about our experiences as players and athletes, which was oh so long ago, and, you know, we kind of made an ungraceful transition into the roles we're in now, and, you know, unfortunately for us, what happened this week with ESPN has more of an effect on us than anything that could possibly happen within, you know, a field or on turf or anywhere with a live ball. This, this was really big what happened in sports this week. In case you're not aware about what we're talking about, ESPN reportedly laid off around 100 personalities. Uh, I mean, that's not just not just personalities, employees. So whether it's radio hosts, TV anchors, reporters on the sidelines, people behind the scenes, ESPN made some huge cuts this week, and uh, a lot of people were, you know, very, very recognizable in public names. Some of them are people that have been at ESPN for, you know, almost 20 years. We're not going to go listing off everybody that got released, but I'm sure, you know, if you pay attention to sports, you were surprised to hear about some of the names and some of the people who unfortunately lost their jobs. And, you know, we kind of hope that everybody lands on their feet and, you know, hopefully, hopefully a lot of these people, a lot of really talented people will find new opportunities, but... For, for sports media folk, I mean, this is a scary week, and it's a little eye-opening into how fragile you know your jobs are and your security is in this field and really in the field of entertainment. But you know, this this was a scary week for sports entertainment. Joe, you wrote a, a really insightful and great perspective offering column, you know, separately on your independent site. What are some of the main things that stood out to you this week with the ESPN news? Um, on the front end, I want to say like. And I wrote this in the column. Like, I'm kind of ashamed. My first reaction wasn't empathy. Now, that was, like, almost an immediate reaction after. The first action was, oh, man, we're bleeped, like, as an industry. Um, that was my gut reaction because the name, like, when I saw Dana O'Neill's name come across my timeline early in the morning, 
Um, and for those unaware, Dean O'Neill's probably, at least arguably, the best college basketball writer on the planet. She's um, up there. Yeah, like as a writer, not saying a reporter, just as a writer, she's up there. Um, when I saw her name come across my timeline, I knew Wednesday was going to be an awful day. Um, and then, like, uh, I mean, ESPN gutted their college basketball coverage. They let go of um, most a lot of digi- hey. digital only talent. And um, and I, I'm obviously speaking from a selfish perspective because I'm mostly a college basketball writer. But they let go of uh, CL Moore and uh, I'm going to blank on Eamon Brennan, um, Len Elmore, who's a broadcaster. Um, and a bunch of other guys, Andy Katz, who does a lot of things. I thought in the beginning it was going to be just mostly, it seemed like they were going digital only, or guys that are one-dimensional, just TV, just radio, just um, whatever. And then when I saw Andy Katz's name the following day, um, it was, uh, it is. It's uh, Somebody gave me the advice years ago, you have to be multidimensional, you have to be a 5 tool player, you have to be able to tweet, write, do podcasts, do radio, do TV. You have to do it all. Or you're not valuable. And it also seems like they cut um, a lot of people that were probably more expensive. Right. And well, that's the thing, too. Not, not to steal your thunder here, but I think this is the type of thing that you couldn't avoid getting fired here. You know, ESPN was just going to make these cuts, and I think they chose some people that were higher up on the totem pole, some that were lower up. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, how talented, how good you are. You know, mm-hmm. you, mentioned you mentioned Dana O'Neill. Andy Katz was one of the most surprising ones to me. Jason Stark and Andy Katz were probably the two most surprising names for me to see mm. let go because these are people that are, you know, almost the faces of their departments, and these are really big departments for ESPN, still major sports, people who have been with the company, like I just said, you know, for almost two decades. I don't know what anybody could have done to avoid being let go here other than, you know, recently have signed a new contract. Well, they let go some people that recently just resigned. Um, I, I think that's a business thing where they're going to eat the salary now, so in following quarters, they're... When they go to shareholders, they could have a more positive number. Like they're going to eat the net, the the red reading now on their quarterly report for this quarter. That way, it doesn't show each quarter or whatever. That's a business thing. Um, I think that's why they were just eating like full like three year deals and paying that all up front and saying to walk instead of keeping them on board. But um, yeah, man, it was weird. Like you made the good point where it's it wasn't it has nothing to do with talent, right? It has to it had to do with a mix with where they saw value and where they didn't see value. Not as a writer or a talent. Not like, okay, Dana O'Neill's not justifying her pay. It was just like, hey, we pay we pay her X amount of money. This is college basketball. It's kind of a niche sport. We don't, we don't need it. Or beat writer for the Titans. We don't need a beat writer for the Titans. Or whatever. It seemed like a lot of... Uh, it had nothing to do with the person's skill set as it did with uh, just trying to figure out a way to eventually go back and show them even more profit because they're still showing profit, even more profit than they were showing. Um, the like I was telling people that I talked to when all the news was happening was a lot of people were saying, "Well, yeah, when the bidding war, ha- like when Ethan Strauss got left go, and people said, and Ethan's great, that well, the next network that gets him is going to be great, and let the bidding war begin." I don't think people realize how there's not going to be a bidding war because there's not a ton of networks looking to pay writers. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is I mentioned, you know, hopefully all these guys land on their feet, and you'd have to imagine some of these people will be, you know, big draws and big gets for other companies, but you look at other people who have left ESPN and gone on to other larger companies and other decent platforms, and nothing just, there's nothing equal to ESPN out there. This That's what kind of makes this more interesting, too, is that 
ESPN's always been thought of, you know, as the mothership, as the monopoly of sports entertainment. And to see them make these kind of cuts and them say, you know, these people aren't as important as the brand, which in the past, you know, they let uh, Skip Bayless walk. They let a Colin Cowherd walk. And it's, well, they'll just be able to replace them fine, which they've been able to do. But you get rid of this many people and we think, oh, these people just fill slots elsewhere. It, it, it's, it's a repeatable process that's just getting scarier and scarier by by the layoffs, by the people leaving, and these people won't have the platform that they had at ESPN. We may never, you know, we'll still see Jason Starks writing somewhere, but he's not going to have the opportunities that he had, and he might be the best in the business. And it's just, it's scary to think that ESPN is the the top and the best opportunity for the brightest stars to shine as bright as they can. Now they won't have that opportunity. We may not hear from them, you know, as prominently as we did before. And what does this mean for people that are up and coming? You know, it's just, it's, it's a scary cycle, I think. Yeah, you're right. I think and we don't even know if ESPN is going to replace these people. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, hockey, like, because college football, which I thought was kind of untouchable because it's, it's still, college football is still growing somehow. You know what I mean? And there's so many teams, like, you think you need so many people to do it. They, they got it, a lot of their college football coverage is too. But I, I, from my perspective, it seems like they killed hockey and college basketball the most. Um, they don't have any hockey rights, and they don't really push hockey outside of Barry, Barry Melrose. Um, and it seems like they're, they're going to lower their emphasis on digital product overall, at least from a written side, and maybe do more videos. So I don't even know if they're going to be replacing these people. I don't know if this is going to be the cycle, that they're not, like, yeah, they're going to need to replace some of the on-air guys because you just have so many hours a day between, like, the five channels they have that they're going to need people. Even that, though, they're going to supplement an MLB network show where Baseball Tonight was for a couple nights a week. Right. So it's just it's 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 a changing business. Like the business you and I wanted to get into, right, when we were younger, the business then was still like, hey, I want to work for a newspaper. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And then, like, guys a little bit younger than us, it was like, hey, I want to work for Grantland or something like that. And then the generation that's coming now, the younger kids that are, like, 21, 22, I don't even know what they could aspire to. Like, even though, like, we aspired for newspapers, by the time we started getting better and, and, and more experienced, and newspapers were gone, there were still opportunities around. And then for the generation right below us, not the generation, like, the writers a little bit younger than us, they aspired to Grantland, Grantland went under, they saw a couple places around. If you're 22 years old, I don't know what you aspire to at this point. There's nothing there. There's no, there's no hey, I want to shoot for this. There's no magazines. There's no newspapers. There's no Grantland. There's... Just of major networks, and one of them just let go of 100 people, and it seems like they're de-emphasizing digital content. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, and I mean, I can't sit here and pretend to, to know more than you do and say, well, this is what they're going to aspire to do. I mean, you'd have to think, like, the wave is video, and that, you know, written word is kind of disappearing a little bit more, and everybody's going to try and make their own channels. I mean, I don't even know where. I don't even know what's popular with younger people, so... No, like you're I said, right. I, I told you during before the season... Our, our bosses asked me to do more video, and I was kind of, like, scared and resistant. Like, and then, yes, Wednesday happened. I'm like, man, i got to start doing more video. Right. It's, <laughs> it's adapt or die, and ESPN is kind of realizing this. And it's just – it's unfortunate because it's, it's just – it's predicted by consumers, obviously. I mean, all businesses should be, but – their their model, you know, they failed to adapt, and they had failed to adapt for so many years that it kind of led to this this them needing to to get rid of people and needing to make you know this fire sale where they fired so many people and they're you know saving themselves a lot of money on talent. I mean, guys that you thought were untouchable are like, oh, I was really surprised. 
I don't want to go through, you know, names and do this, but like a guy like Trent Dilfer. So when I worked at ESPN a few years ago, that was when they, they started doing, you know, the advanced stats movement. And obviously advanced stats mean something different today than they did, you know, seven, eight years ago. But back then what ESPN was doing was they'd get Trent Dilfer to huddle around with a bunch of researchers and statisticians. And they'd say, these are the things that we need to start looking for. These are the next generation stats. And like, this was a guy that like led a statistical revolution at ESPN and not even a decade later, he's relatively obsolete to them. So it's just, it's scary how quickly this changes and how on top of the changes you need to be. And, you know, I kind of always thought ESPN, despite, you know, not loving some of their program choices and the strategies behind their programming, I always thought they were relatively on on the money, you know, on the ball about the decisions they were making. And, you know, even if I didn't agree with their programming, I figured, well, they have to at least be doing something that's appealing to somebody else, which I would still think that they're doing, but it's very clear now that they waited too long to make some major changes that they needed to do this. This is very drastic what they did this week. Well, it's not just about the talent aspect, right? Like somebody made the point they they overpaid for NBA. Like it's like when you buy a house and you're paying four times for the house and it's actually valued at eventually, you know what I mean? It's going to come at you, come back to bite you. So it's not just like they, they were failing to advance with the times. It's also like outside of the digital aspect or the on-air talents, like whatever their pays were and all that other stuff, well, and the content they produced, it was, hey, we're going to way overpay for a product. We're going to bid against ourselves. And we're going, and um, Colin Coward, of all people, who did not, like, if anybody's trying to twist his words, I, I listened to the clip, he wasn't bashing ESPN or celebrating it. He was explaining how when he saw, and I, I don't have a reference point to know if he actually said this, but when he saw what, He's been paid for the NBA rights. He knew that eventually something like this would happen because you're you're putting an investment into a thing for four times its value, and you can't get out of it. So eventually, the, you're going to eat a loss somewhere, and other people that aren't responsible for that are going to pay for it. Which was the talent yesterday or on Wednesday, right? So yeah, no. it, like it's not just the content. Like like it has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with whatever your personal belief system is. It has more to do with uh, what seems to be a, a poorish business decision, and then you could sprinkle in percentages of a small percentages of a bunch of other things. Like, yeah, like the the not adapting to the times that might be like three percent. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just a, such a small percentage as compared to what they were paying for life rights with the NFL and, and the NBA. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good point, and you know, it's not just one thing. Obviously, it's it's a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned you know the the speculation that. This was due to politics, and I think that we saw that stance from a lot of ESPN detractors, people who, you know, can't stand Bomani Jones and anybody else that ever takes things beyond sports and talks about life in a way that that they don't want to hear about it, unless it's, you know, Colin Cowherd talking about John Wall not being a leader because he grew up fatherless. Uh, I saw a really good tweet from Barry Pacheski from Deadspin. He tweeted, all these bad takes about people canceling ESPN because of politics is if you can just drop one channel. You drop ESPN, you lose Fox News, too. And it's the type of thing where, you know, the perspective couldn't have been more off on this. I I think that Linda Cohn, actually, from ESPN, came out yesterday and did say that politics played a part in this. I don't know how that's even possible. What did you think of that speculation? It's it's pretty much impossible, right? Nobody's cutting their entire cable package because of one network. And um, ESPN's business model wasn't getting viewers. It was... Being in homes of people that don't even watch sports. That is the satellite cable package mystery of the world. Like, you know how you don't get to pick the 100 channels you actually want? 
ESPN's just always on there and it costs seven dollars for the channel or whatever. They were in a hundred hundreds of millions of homes that don't even know what ESPN is. Right. So when so now when the industry of the way people consume entertainment changed, and if you're not a sports fan and you're like, well, my direct TV bill is one hundred and twenty dollars a month. Let me figure out why. Oh, I'm paying forty dollars a month for all these like because it's not just ESPN; it's also Fox Sports and NBC Sports and CBS Sports. I'm paying forty dollars a month for all these things that I don't even care about. I'll go to Hulu, you know what I mean, or whatever else. That's what's hitting ESPN. So this idea that politics, like all the people that were not all, but most of the people that go on Wednesday were boots on the ground reporters, um, old school journalists. They weren't your opinion makers. They weren't your Stephen A. Smiths, your Dan Levitards, your Bomani Jones, your um, like anybody else. Like Danny Cannell was like, all right, he kind of leaned right. Do you know what I mean? Like he leaned conservative. So if your take is yeah, it's because they laid all these people off because of their left leaning uh, sensibilities. What, what left leaning sensibility do they let off that, that that's the most complained about? He's the most complained about from conservatives, the right like the because it's extreme right wingers that complain. It's not, um, I guess, sane Republicans. It's the people that you know that are, aren't open to other viewpoints and always look at everything through a, a personal attack. So uh, the people that are most complained about that get killed with that are like Jamel Hill, Michael Smith, uh, Bomani, Dan Lebatard. Uh, anybody that pretty much almost anybody that has a an opinion show, right? None of those people were let go. <laughs> None. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that that's kind of the other aspect of this that that kind of sucked is yeah, it's really unfortunate that so many good talented people lost their jobs, and regardless of how you or I might feel about Danny Cannell or anybody else, you know, along. No, those lines, yeah, we don't want them to lose their job. No, we don't want anybody to lose their job. But what what ended up you know unfolding on Twitter were you know comments. I, I'd give anything for Stephen A. Smith to give his job back to, you know, Dana O'Neill. That wasn't a real example, but things of that nature where it's, I wish someone... Did you do that on purpose? No, why? Stephen A. Smith, things of that nature? Things of that nature, I know. <laughs> Crab Rangoon, my favorite tweet ever. Um, no, but a lot, a lot of people kind of did the, I, I wish so-and-so would have gotten fired instead. And I mean, that's really not cool either. This tweet came from Kirk Minihan. I don't even know how to say his name. Minihane, Minihan from WEEI, of course, from Boston. Oh, yeah. Tweeted, uh, excuse the curse. If I lost my job at ESPN today and knew this dog shit show with Jamil and Michael Smith still existed, I'd lose my mind. Like, are you kidding me? This is such a, you know, A plus B equals banana pants. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's such a, a false equivalency. And it, it's like, it's so coded, too. It's. What is it? What is the point of saying something like that? Like people, people were saying, Bomani Jones should have gotten fired. Dan Levitard should have gotten fired. Of course, it's the you know I don't even want to say left leaning people, but the people who have controversial conversations about you know things that are happening in this country or people who aren't afraid to you know voice their opinions when something terrible is happening. These are the people that should lose their jobs. I mean, for what it's worth, like Michael Smith and Jamil Hill, like the hate on them is terrible. It's ridiculous. I get their hate because they're kind of mostly benign too. They're not really right. They're, they do Sports Center. They're they're on Sports Center at six o'clock every day. Like, could you imagine being like, yeah, I wish. Uh, who who was doing it before? I think Jay Harris and uh, and Jay Crawford or something like that. Like those two guys were hosting the six o'clock for a while. Could you imagine like outrage? Like, why do these guys get a weekly show? Obviously, we know why they're hated. It's because they're black, and it's ridiculous. Like, why can't? You well, know, it's not just it's not just black, right? It's also like. 
people confuse personal preference with the overall product. Like, like we, we mentioned Danny Cannell before, right? So, like, me and you and I aren't Danny Cannell guys. Now, that doesn't mean we wanted him laid off and all that stuff. But, like, he had a slotting on ESPN for a reason. I might not have gotten it, and you might not have gotten it, but other people did. So just because we didn't get it didn't mean he was, like, the worst thing ever. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to um, – a, a lot of people made – like, it was a – it got redundant, the opinion. But, like, just because somebody has a take you don't agree with doesn't make them horrible. Right, and I just want to clarify what I'm saying here. It's not, you know, they're they black people and you hate black people, so that's why you hate it. But their show, you know, they, they do the, like, the Eddie Murphy skits and they do, you know, they talk about... Yes, yeah, so old, white guy, black can't, old, white, old white guy can't relate, yeah. Right, their show is not relatable to, you know, you're, like you were saying, you know, your extreme right-wingist person who turns on ESPN and says, what does this have to do with sports? But they don't mind, you know, a couple of white guys being goofy talking about something that's not sports. This is something that, that turns them off to ESPN, and they see this with Michael Smith and Jamil Hill. They see this with Bomani. Occasionally, you see it with the Stephen A. Smith, and I think that's why these people are clearly like the targets of people who say these are the guys that should have gotten fired instead of hardworking Trent Dilfer or whoever else. And it's ridiculous. I mean. Michael and Jamil have worked so hard. They've paid their dues in this industry. Yeah, they're they've both, both been around they're forever. They're incredible reporters before they became, you know, TV personalities. And, I mean, obviously his and hers did well enough that ESPN figured that they deserved a bigger platform. Like, it's just, it's it's kind of disgusting to see them be, you know, the recipients of this kind of misdirected anger where you're upset that ESPN's letting go talented people. Instead, you're saying they should all let these people go instead. That, that's not how this works. It's not how it should work. And, you know, listen, you're obviously you're entitled to like and not like any personalities that you want on any TV programming or channel that you watch. If you don't like it, keep it moving like everybody else does. Yeah, you have so many options. Um, now, I'm going to I'm going to try to shoehorn this in here because you, you were kind of on the subject about you can like and not like who you want. Um, I was talking about it before we went on air with you. The weird backlash to Stephen A. Smith's salary on Wednesday. Right. And it's. And it's other media pe- people saying this. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say his name because I don't care. Richard Dice, the Sports Illustrated media critic, right? Which is basically the internal affairs of media. So uh, he was complaining about, I can't believe that Stephen A. Smith makes $3.1 million a year while the ESPN's laying off 100 million, or yeah, 100, million, 100 people. Which, ha- one thing that has nothing to do with the other, right? Like I explained before, it has more to do with the live rights than somebody else's salary. So he emphasizes you should feel empathy for all these people that feel they got laid off, which you should. But then he's anti-capitalism because he doesn't like he, because he doesn't like Stephen A. Smith's style. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's listen, you don't have to like Stephen A. Smith, and I know the pop, and I've said this before. Like Stephen A. Smith when he was Philly Comcast was tremendous. He was a great reporter. He wasn't as over the top as he is now. I loved him. I legit loved him. And when he first landed at ESPN, I was so happy for him. Right. Um, and then he kind of became like a, a more of a gas bag character and blah, blah, and, but it worked. And I, I kind of lost interest in him as a consumer of him, but other people love him or whatever. People look at that as him selling out. Listen, man, he's just trying to, he found a niche and it worked clearly because he hits me and was willing to pay him $3.1 million to do the radio, to do the TV show. He also works like an ungodly amount sports center hits uh, NBA games, like I don't know when that dude sleeps. Yeah, so, like you could say you don't like him, but to say his money, ESPN's money going to him, has anything to do with the other layoffs is inaccurate. And to say that 
he doesn't deserve the money. It's idiotic. Yeah, I, going back to the year before when Deitch also did the, I can't believe a year ago ESPN was willing to pay Skip Bayless $4 million. Well, it, it hasn't worked out at Fox Sports, clearly, but this is more about a branding thing. ESPN's ESPN and Fox Sports is Fox Sports and doesn't really matter the personality. They saw value in him. Was he supposed to say, thanks for offering me $4 million, but there might come a time when you guys think might think about laying off people. So how about just one point five? Let's be right. anti-capitalism in this one instance because you don't like them, Richard Dice. Right, or even less. Pay me twelve dollars an hour, like you pay your people who work, you know, behind the scenes. Just, just pay me whatever because you know I don't deserve it because some people don't like me. It, it really is terrible and it's unfortunate. I mean, we as an industry, like sports people, should be supporting sports people. And like I said, you know, you don't like somebody's takes. It's very easy to ignore them. I'm never out here calling for Jason Whitlock to be fired. You know, maybe don't pay as much attention to him. But if you like him, hey, that's your prerogative. I mean, it's like telling people what TV shows and movies they shouldn't like. Like, we're all entitled to our own opinions. And I think, you know, obviously with sports, it's more personal. And we're obviously talking about, you know, nonfiction and things that are happening in the real world. And, of course, with, you know, the state of our country, we talk about non-sports when it comes to sports a lot of the times, too. We're just... It's not groundbreaking to say you're allowed to like who you like and, and not like who you don't like, but to, to be so, I don't know. It's, it's, Stop it making false equivalencies because you dislike a personality. Yeah, That's I, my I, biggest take like, here. Like, because Stephen A. Smith makes a lot of money to, and, and does it a way you don't like. doesn't mean he's the reason the layoffs happen. Or it has, like, his salary has nothing to do with this at all. This isn't a mom-and-pop shop that is laying out people because the CEO makes too much, or the, like the owner puts himself on too much salary. This is a very complex network that has a billion different ventures within itself. It has the TV, it has podcasts that they can't monetize yet. They have uh, digital, they have like whatever. ESPN, The Zone or whatever is still a thing, whatever that is, right? So like Stephen A. Smith, $3.1 million has nothing to do with this at all. I promise you. Yep, of course. And it's just, it's it's disappointing to see people, you know, kind of put their opinions onto something that that's just out of everybody's control. I mean, we don't, we don't know what ESPN could have or should have done differently to avoid this from happening, but I promise you not giving Stephen A $3.1 million would not have fixed everything. And like, like, uh, I know we don't want to go too long with this, but like, just to go one step further, like people are killing ESPN. And listen, I totally get it. Be unhappy that our, like some of our favorite personalities are gone. Like I'm a, like the day, like I, I'm legit shook that you know, Neil got let go. She's my, she, very influential on my work. But let's not pretend for everybody else in our industry, if ESPN emailed us today and said, hey, do you want to write for us? We'd say no. Yeah, of course. Out of some kind of moral stance. So, like, it's easy for somebody like like Richard Dice, who's at Sports Illustrated, who only goes after low-hanging fruit, who only praises already praised people, who already hammers easily-to-be-hammered people, to say Stephen A. Smith's the worst. Or whatever. But if you're young writer guy or woman, freelance and trying to get by, do not go on Twitter and bash ESPN because I'm telling you, it's not a great look. And you, you, if they emailed you, you take the offer. There's no moral dilemma here. Do you know what I mean? It could be bittersweet for you, but let's not pretend like ESPN is still not a destination spot. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the other thing that kind of comes out of this too is there really isn't a competition for ESPN, but. Is ESPN still, you know, the destination that it that it was? And you'd have to imagine that they're not going to continually, you know, have these rounds of layoffs like they they had this week. 
But it's just it's it's scary for sports media as a whole. And I think you know one of the good things that came out of this was yesterday on Twitter, uh, Ian Levy, who's Hickory High, who works for Fansided, you know, kind of put together this big networking effort where he you know had people tweet about some of their favorite follows and all that stuff. You know, like we we were mentioning earlier with Josh shouting us out. Um, and it's it's good to see Twitter which is a community where people tend to, you know, bash each other and not necessarily support each other, come together, you know, during this kind of tough time mm-hmm. and say, you know, this is difficult for all of us. Instead of being divisive, let's kind of figure out a way where we can support each other and maybe try to, you know, expand and, you know, even even Snotty Drippin, who is, you know, Twitter's jerk most of the time, <laughs> NBA Twitter's jerk, and a lot of people don't like him, you know, tweeted, I'm extending an olive branch. Anybody who I have had a problem with in the past, we shouldn't have problems. You know, it's, it, this thing's kind of brought a lot of perspective into sports media. And listen, Let's see how long it lasts. Yeah, of, of course, of course, definitely. I mean, this could be the new Coney 2012 or whatever, but we, it's just, you know, we're not even that level of media that ESPN is. I mean, we don't have to fear for what they do, but it's scary when, you know, you look at the top and see things are starting to really crumble at the well, top. Well, it trickles down, wonder, yeah. Right, you wonder what does this mean for our, our industry as a whole, and it's a scary day for everybody, but I, it was really encouraging to kind of see basketball Twitter get behind each other and, and stick together. Granted, you know, I, I don't think the NBA suffered as badly as other sports did through ESPN the other day. I couldn't believe that Ethan Sherwood Strauss was let go of. I mean, that guy's tremendous covering the Warriors for ESPN, but... It just it's it's a scary time and it's it's sad and obviously this is all relative. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to find jobs, but uh, sad, sad to see this happen. I'm with you. I, I mean, I don't know really what else to say. I'll, I, the only thing I want to also add to the conversation is for like you brought up because you brought in the kind of down. I mean, when you brought up the ESPN doesn't have competition, I'm going to use the comparison to pro wrestling. Um, pro wrestling's usually. The WWE is at its be- was at its best when they had competition with WCW. You should root, even if you disagree with Fox Sports's approach or CBS's or NBC's. You should root for those networks to succeed because the more places that succeed, the more jobs there are. The top, the the more the sense of urgency is higher. The better content they'll be put up. They'll be pushing each other, even if it's even if it's not like a direct push. Um, and I've, I've spoken about this on this, on I believe on this podcast before. I know I was asked about it on another. Is rooting for any other network or personality to fail is silly. Now you could not love the business model, but like when Bill Simmons' TV show at HBO failed, and people were like, "Well, Bill Simmons is dumb," or blah blah, it closes a door. That show closes a door on HBO at least for a while, never taking that just chance again on a sports show, like that kind of sports show. So don't root against the ringer. Don't root against Fox Sports. Like, we need as many places in this business that's changing forever and networks are scrambling to figure out how to monetize things that they gave away for free and now people have that expectation and feel entitled to it. So a quality level doesn't drop to the point where you're basically reading really bad work or consuming really bad work because that's the direction we're heading in. So I, I just think we should all... I think what Ian Livy did yesterday was tremendous. I think the the sentiment everybody has, whether or not it's going to last, is right. We should all kind of rally around each other. And I know that's very not like listeners don't like that aren't in the industry don't care about that, but they should. I'm not saying you have to watch whatever the Fox Sports shows names are because I don't. But I'm just saying you shouldn't root for them to fail just because you disagree with them. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's kind of the big takeaway for everybody from this. 
Either that or, you know, keep not watching and keep not caring, and uh, we'll see where this thing winds up in a few years. But sad week for for sports media, and again, we're really rooting for everybody to land on their feet. And um, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll be writing with Dana O'Neill or something sometime in the near future, because she's too talented to not have Mm -hmm. a job for that long. All our new listeners today have no idea about our fancy theme music. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Jeez. So I think that's kind of a good way to end it. Joe, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share on this? No, no. Um, you can go to my website, interwebtimes.com. If I have uh, about a 2,000-word thing I wrote yesterday about uh, reflecting on it. So if you want more thoughts of mine that I might have missed on this, you could go there. Absolutely. All right, guys. We thank you for listening and bearing with us today on a uh, less-than-upbeat show. But we promise to be back Monday with the Heat. We'll be talking about some fun stuff, a nice weekend of NBA playoffs, I suppose, and uh, who knows, maybe something funny will happen at the NFL Draft. But in the meantime, we want to thank you again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at jmincehoops and catch my basketball writing at fanregsports.com. Joe, tell the good people where they can find you. All over the place. Uh, on Twitter, at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E. Also at fanregsports.com. Also, uh, my personal blog, Interweb times.com um it's just where my non-college basketball stuff goes and um thank you and i appreciate everybody for reading sharing and caring have a great weekend folks all around me are familiar websites worn out clickbait worn out hotcakes bright and early for the daily link dumps no one's clicking no one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers. Not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow. No tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you. I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.